0: Thank you, Anna. Oh, yes. Today is January 23rd, and the reason that's significant is it's my mom's birthday. My mom faithfully watches every sermon I give. So, Mom, I'm telling you, I love you. I'm grateful I'm your son. I know you prayed me into the life I'm living, and so I am the luckiest son in the world with the best mom in the world. Happy birthday. Love you. (laughs) I do have a great mom. She's a wonderful woman. Well, um, today uh, I'm going to start a little series um, for a few weeks um, called How Do I Know What's True? How Do I Know What's True? This is something that that holds a lot of uh, significance to me, uh, and maybe it will for you too. I hope it will. But the reason I, I felt like we should ask this question is is I've been stumbling across some things that have made me realize why are we talking about this? Is because truth can be hard to find. You guys noticed this? Like, let me give you a few examples. Um... Troll farms, which are professional groups that work in coordinated fashion to produce provocative content, often propaganda to social networks. Um, there's a report that came out from Facebook that MIT found that said in Octu- October of 2019, leading up to the American re- elections, all 15 of the top pages targeting Christian Americans were run by troll farms. In other words, on Facebook, the most visited sites that were... Christian sites, all top 15, were not actually real. They were run by a troll farm in Macedonia. In other words, Eastern Europeans putting content in there to confuse us before the elections. There's also evidence the same thing happened specifically targeted against African Americans and also Native Americans. This is just, Facebook knows this happened, okay? So MIT obtained the internal reports from this. Um, <laughs> here's another one. Analysis indicates that foreign governments place and promote misinformation stories on multiple social media channels, creating the illusion of known truth emerging from diverse, independent sources. You'll notice I'm giving a lot of data as to your sources. If you want to take pictures or post this, I can tell you where I found all this information. But they're usually, this is like a peer-reviewed articles. There's uh, another one. The primary driving force behind... Whether someone will share a piece of information is not its accuracy or even its content. The main reason we share a post is because it comes from a friend or a celebrity with whom we want to be associated. As humans, we're often more concerned with status, popularity, and establishing a trusted friend circle than with maintaining the truth. As a result, social media spaces will inevitably be spaces where the truth is easily downgraded. Again, these are just reports. This is for proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America. Um, Here's another one. Analysis indicates that bots, if you know, don't everybody know what a bot is? You know, (laughs) our tech people, thumbs up. Bots, they're programs that do automatic things. In other words, robot. Analysis indicates that bots wield a disproportionate influence Dominating social media platforms such as Twitter, an estimated 66% of tweeted links to popular websites are tweeted by bots. It's two-thirds, two out of every three. With this number climbing to 89% for popular news sites. In addition, bots overwhelmed human users. In this study, 500 bots were responsible for 22% of the tweets compared to the 500 human users who only accounted for 6% of the tweets. As a result, those who create bots can manipulate and artificially tilt the balance of shared social spaces. It's a study done by Pew Research Center. Twitter now plays a key role in how journalists find news, which is fascinating. Fascinating. I think the the robots are running the show, right? According to a recent survey, survey, many journalists see tweets as equally newsworthy compared to headlines from the Associated Press. As a result, the neutrality of the press can be easily undermined. On the one hand, professional journalists can be manipulated by bots and bad faith actors. And on the other hand, the chance of radical content, conspiracies, and other types of disinformation Occurring in professional news articles are extremely high. Yep. Journal of Journalism. So this is why I'm asking: How do we know it's true? Is truth can be really hard to find these days. That's just that, that's just social media technology, right? And and this this and but here's here's the, the good thing to know: I feel like I need to pray. I don't know. I just feel it in my spirit. I don't know why. Lord we need your truth we need your truth and I can feel the Lord you are going to break through today something's going to break through in us that's of deep significance to you and to your people as a witness of the kingdom of God on earth so we say Jesus we submit to your authority and we go ahead and dismiss anything that's not under the authority of Jesus go ahead and go to the foot of the cross Do what you're meant to do. Serve your Lord Jesus. And Lord, we receive you to hear your words from the Spirit right now. Amen. Amen. That feels better. Truth can be hard to find, but here's the good news. In case you're worried that I'm beating up on just technology, this is not a new question. This is not a new question whatsoever of how do I know what's true that I can rely on. In fact, it goes all the way back to Pilate, even before Pilate. But Jesus said, I'm a witness to the truth. And Pilate's response to Jesus was, what's truth? I don't even know what you're talking about. And, and, and we can look in history, you know, the, the, the Western civilization history we have You know, these guys you've heard of, Aristotle, Plato, Locke, Hume, Kant, Nietzsche, Aristotle, they're talking, this is 500 years before Jesus. These guys are asking, what is true? How do I know what's truth? And guys like Aristotle and Plato would, they'd write literally thousands and thousands of words of saying, here's how, here's how you know it. And really Greek society, which, all the way down today. If you ever, if you walk through Washington D.C. and look, if you, if you know anything about Greek architecture, you feel like you're in Greece. To walk through Washington D.C. because we like kind of replicated all this stuff. That this respected culture saying what is true and and you know over the years different answers were given. Locke, uh, John Locke, in case anybody watchers have uh, lost back in the day, they use you know philosophers names. John Locke could say the only truth is what you get from your five senses. Like, there's nothing else that exists If, you know, those five senses you get. Then these guys, Hume and Kant, came along and said, no, you can't even trust that. You really can't know anything. You know, you don't really know what's in front of you. You've got to be a philosopher to get to these spaces, by the way, who are usually sitting by themselves in a room, you know. So, (laughs) the guys are like, well, when I drop this thing on my foot, it feels awfully real, you know. But in Nietzsche... Nietzsche is actually super powerful because he would say, there is no such thing that's really true. It's just whoever has power defines what's true. You'd be surprised how much Nietzsche is the philosophy of the day. That's why I think people get so nuts about politics because I have to be in control to define what's true. And, and if you start thinking about this, it, it, these can be very disturbing thoughts, right? Right? like, how do I know what's true? How do I know what's true and why is it so important? Is because what we believe to be true determines how we live. Now, we might not consciously be thinking, you know, here's my philosophy of truth. But my guess is you believe it's true that if you stand in front of a moving car, something's going to happen. right? You've, you've developed, developed a philosophy of not walking in front of cars. You've had that kind of truth, right? And, and, and the bottom line is, we are all constantly, whether we realize it or not, living by our own set of truth for every decision we're making. You want to go home and relax. Why do you do what you do? Well, because I know that watching the Rams and the Buccaneers will be the most relaxing thing to do today. Yes, I said who? Yeah, thank you, Shane. Or whatever it is. Or have you ever been mad at not getting enough relaxation? Ever that? Felt that? And the question is why? What happened? It's because your definition, your truth for what it meant to be, you know, getting relaxation didn't happen. Whatever that was. Truth determines how we live. And so, guys, this is—it's a really, really big deal. And I feel like we're in a, in a time in history where it's at a bit of a crisis moment. I heard a podcast yesterday um, called uh, "Device and Virtue." It's a—it's but they're talking about the rise and fall of the expert. Um, that nobody really believes anybody anymore. <laughs> the expert, who's the expert, and why are they the expert? In fact, what's fascinating to me, if, if, if you're, you know, those quotes I read, the odds are that you've seen enough things to go, where, where did he get his sources? Are they left leaning? Right leaning? Are they troll farms? Am I a troll farm? (laughs) Maybe I am. I'm a troll farm bot. I didn't even know. Truth determines how we live. Now, here's the deal. The Christian answer is actually quite simple. And that's what we're going to be focusing on is when we say, how do I know what's true? The Christian answer is very simple. It's just this. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and if you, you know, scriptures that help us is, is it really, does, what does Jesus mean by that? He, the scriptures help us understand what Jesus meant. He said, he, this is when he was talking to Pilate, he said, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. That's why I'm here, is to tell you what's true. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That's a bold statement, isn't it? And Pilate, ironically, in the in right standing in front of Jesus, says, well, what's truth? Whoa standing in front of the Lord of glory, says he doesn't know what's true. Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth. And the truth will do something in your life. It'll be like you're living free and not a slave. Jesus said, uh, Paul said, he was praying for the church in Colossae that they would know the mystery of God, namely Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, that's a massive statement, that all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in this person, Jesus. This is cool that Jesus actually takes the whole Bible into him and with him and expresses it. The summation of all Scripture, Jesus says, Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. In the Old Testament, just the phrase, the Law and the Prophets, is basically a phrase to say the whole Old Testament, the whole of Scripture. Don't think I came to abolish the Law of the Prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. They're all about me. Either Jesus is a total flaming narcissist, or something crazy powerful is going on here in this person. Jesus said, (laughs) He's talking to his disciples after he'd risen from the dead, and they're totally, they've they been confused, and now he's explaining what happened now that he's been raised from the dead. He said, guys, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be that, fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. In other words, the whole kit and caboodle of Scripture. Paul said it this way, Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes? He's the summary of the entire testimony of Scripture. And then Jesus tells us everything we need to know about God according to what the Scriptures say that the Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all, over all creation. That Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you're wondering what God looks like and how he acts, look at this person, Jesus. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in body, bodily form. Somehow, God, who's larger than the universe itself, fit himself into this, this person, Jesus. Anyone who has seen me, Jesus said, has seen The father has seen God. This was in response to one of his disciples saying, we don't know where you're going or what you're doing. But if you'd show us the father, if you'd show us God, everything would be cool. He goes, guys, if you've seen me, you've seen it all. Jesus tells us what we need to know about humanity. Humanity. Our identity and what it means to live life. At the very beginning, God created mankind, humanity, in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. But we see that Jesus, the image of God, was bearing that image of God in humanity. So that, Paul says in Romans, God knew what He was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love Him along the same lines as the life of His Son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in Jesus. Jesus is the defining picture of what it means to be fully human. And then Jesus said this again. If you hold to my teachings, if you do what I say, if you live the way I prescribe, you will actually be fully human, free, able to exercise your will in a way that you're not bound like a slave. He talked about human relationships. What do we do with each other? And and, and, and we see that this whole trajectory of Scripture was for God to send this promised King who would come and establish the order of God on the earth, the way it was meant to work. And so that God exalted Jesus to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and under, under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of the God the Father. But here's the fascinating thing. So if Jesus is the king, we assume then he knows how to run the world. He knows what it means to be uh, 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 in relationship, humans in relationship with one another. If you will, a king, he's the one who knows how to exercise political government. Politics is simply how do humans relate. And we see just one passage. Uh, um, Jesus was, saw the crowds. He went up a mountainside. His disciples came to him. He began to teach them. And if you look in this one passage, Matthew 5 to 7, he talks about economics, power, desire, courage, injustice, forgiveness, mercy, marriage, divorce, contracts, <laughs> generosity, pride and humility, name a few. He's got this incredibly brilliant way of talking about how to live with one another on planet Earth. We see that Jesus can tell us about creation itself. What is this place we're in? That in John says that through Jesus, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Somehow a creator seems to know a little bit more about what He made than the creation itself says the son is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him things we can see and can't see it's we know that some of that's spiritual we can talk about things that we don't see but also if you think about it do you guys believe in germs <laughs> Depends how you read the news, right? This false pandemic, you know. But I can't see them. Do you believe in atoms? Molecules? Have you ever seen one? Right? See, Jesus knows all this stuff. It was created in Him, at least according to the scriptures. He's before all things and in Him. All things hold together. I love this phrase in Hebrews 1 3. It says that, that the Son, He is currently sustaining all things by the word of His power. If you're into physics at all, this will make you go crazy because it's when they try to go further and further down what's an atom? Or what's an atom made? Keep them going down. The best we know, as far as I know, Ken, Weed, or Dominic, correct me later is energy, it's something in motion. It's almost like the power of the word. Of God is still keeping the world running. If it's true. It sure makes a lot of sense. Okay. Jesus tells us what life is. And what, 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 by that. This is an interesting question. In other words. What is the energy. That is making us alive. You know what I'm saying. Because there are actually materialists. Who believe they can eventually invent immortality. In other words. They don't believe that we have a soul. Or anything like that. But our brains are simply basically a really fancy computer. And really, if you could just download the data off that computer, when this hardware wears out, why not just stick it on another one, right? Does that make sense? If, if that's all there is to what it, it means to be human. So, you know, it'd be kind of like the, you know, I don't know, you know, a, a bot on a head or something, you're still, you're still Anthony, you know what I mean? Um, but that doesn't explain a lot of stuff. You're know, like, what actually is life? Why is a corpse a corpse and not a, li- a living being? And, and, and here's the thing: is that in Jesus, in Him was life. This this aliveness, this energy, whatever that is, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus said that I came, became a person, came to this earth that you and I may have life and have it to the full. And he says for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life even so the son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it and in, in fact jesus goes on to say whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses a life for my sake will actually end up with a life goes on to say here's here's jesus he actually doesn't know just about life but death that jesus was made lower than the angels for a little while crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He's actually tasted your death, my death for everyone according to the Scriptures. Paul's talking about the basic gospel. So what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried. This actually happened. He was actually dead. And then Paul goes on in that same passage to talk about life beyond death, that Jesus actually knows, if Jesus is the truth, one of the things he embodies in that is knowledge of life beyond death. Jesus was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which was Peter, and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom were still living when Paul wrote this some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and the, all the apostles. And last of all, appeared to Paul as to one abnormally born. <laughs> Poor Paul. And Jesus is talking to Martha, who runs to him because her brother had died. And said, Jesus, if you'd been here, none of this would happen. And, and Jesus said, well, I'm the resurrection. No, it, well, of course, yeah, Lazarus eventually be resurrected. He said, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. These are crazy statements. So, Jesus is the truth. What do I mean by that? When we say Jesus is the truth, we're saying his teachings... And his life, death, resurrection, I put those all together, this whole package, his teachings and his life, death, death, resurrection give us the authoritative answers for the most fundamental questions humans have asked throughout history. And here's just some of them. What is actually real? What is there? What is this? What what, what am I? Why are we here? How do we live together? What is knowledge? What is good? What is meaningful? What's beautiful? Where is this all going? Who is God if there is one at all? Jesus answers all of these questions. This person, Jesus. So what I want you to know is this. Is one of the things I've noticed. I'll come back to that in a second. How do I know what's true? Jesus is the truth. And here's... Something beautiful, the truth is a person. The truth is not an idea, the truth is a person. There are ideas that come out of it, but the truth is actually a person. If this is all true, this Bible stuff, this Jesus stuff, the truth itself is a person. So the new the question in the Christian answer is instead of how do I know it's true, the question is how do I know Jesus? Does that make sense? In other words, how do I know this person who himself is the truth? So the, some, of this, some of you guys are just like, this is awesome. Some of people are like, I think I'm going to sleep at any moment. Because I know some of this is a little heady. I know that. But I feel like this is so critical for a number of reasons. So here's a summary of what I'm trying to say today and what we're going to try to answer over a few weeks. How do I know what's true? Why are we asking this? is because truth can be really hard to find. Guys, we are swimming every day in hundreds of worldviews and philosophies saying, I'm true, I'm true, I'm true, I'm true. Just just look at your advertising, right? We, we, are, we get so much advertising. What, what's the number a day? I can't remember. It's like, it's like the average American has 1,000 to 2,000 ads a day thrown at them. Have you ever thought about this? What, what, what if you just did whatever the billboard said when you were driving? It'd be a long day, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd just be like, well, you go know, this way, you know. I guess I need Geico and I need hosiery. I mean, it's like, I don't know. Be... I'm going to get a new air conditioner. <laughs> but there, there, this is not a neutral planet we're on. This is not a neutral pla- There are people intentionally trying to bring us into worldviews that will serve them. And there is an evil being we call Satan who's actively working to blind our eyes to what's true. So it's not just like we're just going to a buffet and it's just, well, I get to choose whatever I want. It's like someone's at the buffet whipping food at you and tripping you. It, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it is not a neutral experience. Or someone 's just shoving this food right in your face, you know. You need ground beef, you know. Which buffets, man. I grew up around buffets, and I won't go about that, but I just, like, never want to see another buffet, I feel like. Gosh, I'm so distractible. I just remember the time after church, my grandmother was taking a teriyaki chicken and putting it in a Ziploc and dropping it in her purse. And just the level of shame you feel at 15 years old is very significant. So I got some other scars that have to do with more than just the buffet, right? Like, oh, my goodness. Grandma. Seriously, I know you have food at your house. This is humiliating. Okay, rein it back in, gal. Truth can be hard to find, right? Sometimes we'd rather just be entertained than deal with it. I would. It's like, oh. But it's so important because truth determines how we live. As you know, I turned 50 and it's an annoying thing to hear when you're younger, but it's true. Life goes flying by and we make thousands of daily decisions based on what we think is true. We are on a trajectory, whether you want to be or not. We are. It's happening. Could it be true that Jesus himself is the truth? That if that's true, that truth is this person, Jesus, then what's on us is we must learn how to know Jesus so we can reliably know what is true and live from it. We we, we talk about things, I want to live the best life ever, I want to make the most out of life. Every commercial has to do something like that. We'll sell you a product so you have the best life ever. But the bottom line is, if we're actually serious about this, and we want a life that's fruitful, that's flourishing, that fits on the planet that actually exists, if it's true that Jesus is the truth, then we have to learn how to know Him so we reliably, with confidence, know I'm living a life that is true to what is. A life that actually makes sense. Oh, I deleted that. Okay. I knew I, I, I hit a button when I was putting this together. And I was kind of in a hurry. Yeah. Paul says in Ephesians 4, this is the slide, slide, slide I deleted, that God is given to his church, starting in verse 11, these leaders, pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and they're there not to demonstrate their gifts to everybody, be awesome. Go up some kind of religious ladder of coolness or something. They're there to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And what's this equipping look like? It says to be united in their faith and growing in the knowledge of God that's demonstrated in Jesus our Lord. Why do we do that? Because then Paul says, so then we won't be like children tossed and forth in the ways with every new wind of doctrine that comes along the way, but instead we'll be rooted in Christ. We'll find our place in him and his body and function well. I feel like that's at risk, guys. That's what I feel the seriousness of this what is true question is, as I feel like the being thrown by winds of doctrine is at serious risk in the moment we're in in history. The way I know it is because I've had probably hundreds of conversations who have either come to or left Believer's Church over things that didn't have to do with Jesus. I just say it, they didn't have to do with Jesus. It's because we weren't skilled enough to know how to discern what Jesus is doing and saying and comparing that with what is being said. Guys, you don't just fall into this. It takes some work. It takes some intentionality and concentration. Most of us, if you're like me, we want to know what we need to know like you know Keanu Reeves in The Matrix did. You, stick a, you know, stick a little button into there and he goes, I know Kung Fu. And we want to believe that if I just gave my life to Jesus, boom, I know how to live. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Some people I know that know the Bible the best live so badly, I would never imitate it. Because they haven't figured out how to live and be and to actually know this Jesus and integrate it into a life that's able then to not just run away from the world, but look at it, assess it, and say, hmm, my philosopher, my life coach, my the one that tell me what is true is Jesus himself. And so... I'm going to take this information and go, does this have to do with Jesus? And how would Jesus deal with it? Because even how Jesus deals with his enemies, he goes, let's hang out. I'm going to love you. Come to dinner, enemy. I mean, you see see what I'm saying? That's a fundamental decision about what is true. Jesus is saying the truest way to live with your enemies is to love them. To live in reality with enemies is to love them and forgive them. See, can you can you tell the feeling that we often say Jesus is for religion and that part of my life? And, and that we don't necessarily see that Jesus is saying, no, I'm telling you how to live everything. I'm offering you a comprehensive worldview and philosophy of the way to live life on planet Earth. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I was going to say nothing is sacred. Everything is sacred. Because Jesus has a say in it all. Who you sell to tomorrow. Could Jesus actually comment on that? I, I've been a salesperson. Yes. Who and how I sell? Absolutely yes. Both a salesman. You know how it is, right? So, what I hope we can do over the next few weeks is I want to give you some handles for being able to engage with Jesus in the world in a way that you can confidently say, I know what's true. That, not that you're a know-it-all, because the more you get to know Jesus, you have to come, constantly go and say, Oh, I don't know anything. <laughs> That's why we fear God and obey His commands, because most of the stuff I don't know enough about, I'm just going to do what He tells me. See what I'm saying? But here's a question for reflection that'll help um, to know just what do I count on? What do I think is true? And it's this, when I'm I'm disoriented, wondering what's going on, how do I stabilize myself? You know what I'm saying? You ever do that? Like you woke up from an insane dream, right? You're like, yeah, everyone does have three faces and I don't know why. You know, you kind of don't know what reality is. Anybody ever felt that way? How do you stabilize yourself? And just be honest. This isn't a guilt thing in any way. I, I, I know for me, usually it's just to talk to somebody or do something that seems normal. Right? Eat some food or, you know, just do something. As I've gotten closer to Jesus and I've had more disorienting things happen to me, I've started to go, Jesus, more than I used to. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what's happening. Jesus, you're going to have to help me. So just ask a question. Ask that question yourself. When I'm really disoriented and I'm scared, I don't know which way is up, what's my go-to? What's my go-to? And a question would be, is, am I open to letting that be Jesus? For anything. Anything and everything. It's down in you, by the way. Jesus is the one. It's not just on you to make yourself good at doing this. I... I one of the ways I knew that was in me is when my daughter and I uh, were, were just sitting in our car take, trying to take a left turn we got rear ended. Got going about 50 miles an hour. It was scary. And we just went flying forward and it was hard to know what was happening. And out of our mouths just came Jesus! We were just screaming Jesus repeatedly because uh, there's something in me that knows where help is. <laughs> And I didn't have to think that through a ton. Um, And he saved us. Okay, great. Well, here's what we're going to do now. We're we're going to... Oh, it went out of order. That's the one. Okay, whatever. There you go. We're going to take communion now. You've got your communion uh, little things with you. And... um, We talk about it every time we do this. What is it? What do we mean by communion? And this scripture passage that Paul gave us, this practice was passed down to him. He said, I received from the Lord what I'm going to pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he took bread, part of this Passover meal. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. Do this again after I've already done it. Do it again in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Meaning all of us were outsiders into God's family, didn't get all the blessings and all the cool stuff that God did for Israel. But this new covenant says, if you put your faith in Jesus, you're in. You get it all. You get all the good stuff. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. So what we're doing, we're giving, this is the most three-dimensional act of worship Jesus gave us, of us saying essentially this, Jesus, I believe you are the truth and I'm putting my trust in you. I'm betting the whole farm on you. And, And the doorway in was that you died on my behalf. You tasted death for me. You took the logical consequences of the actions I've performed in my body, which are in rebellion to you. And then you've risen to life and you're going to give me life when you return. I'll be raised from the dead. So we're going to do that together right now. And I've told you, you know, that little thing to pull apart on the top is a little tricky. If it tastes like plastic, it is. Don't eat it. We don't have to resuscitate you. If you can tear that little thing apart on the top, And that wafer is representing the body of our Lord Jesus. One of the things I also felt the Lord was speaking about, John Yochum gave me a word to confirm it, is the Lord wants uh, us to receive his forgiveness right now. Only way you can be forgiven is through Jesus' death and resurrection. But I felt like he was emphasizing there's some people he wants you to forgive while you're in this act. That we've been given total forgiveness. But he's inviting you, some of us in the building, to offer some forgiveness to people. Sounds so hard, right? He's here to help us do what we can't do. He'll help us do what we can't do ourselves. So Lord, here we are. Here we are in this mystery that we do not have a handle on. That you died for us, Jesus. Your body was broken. That we might be healed in every way. And so we receive this right now. Go ahead and take the bread. This cup is critical. There's this whole system of sacrifice that God for hundreds of years explained to his people Israel that when you're guilty before a holy God, Here's how it's handled. Life has to be given. Life, life, The consequence of sin is death, so someone's got to take that life. And so they had these animal sacrifices and the Passover lamb, blood on the doorposts of all the Israelites, so the angel of death would pass over them. And all of this was to teach us about what Jesus was going to do. That for us to be forgiven, he had to be killed. He had to give his life away so it's in jesus blood we are forgiven and completely set free from the kingdom of darkness and under the kingdom of light in jesus so lord we thank you for the freedom that we have for total forgiveness freedom from darkness and being your kids let's take it together Let's stand together. Can we have our prayer teams come forward, please? So we're going to have some prayer folks up here if anyone would like prayer for anything at all. Man, Jesus is so into us. Think about this. Of all the gods that he could have been. Right? Of all the gods he could have been. He he, when we rejected him, you know what I'd do? I'd just be like, Yeah, I'm out of here. You hurt my feelings, I'm done. And instead, he goes to this insanely costly thing to say, I gotta have you back. I gotta have you healed. I gotta have you whole. You're the delight of my heart. Martin Luther said it this way, how do you know God loves you? Jesus died. It's a fact in history. We can never unwrite. It happened. So if you need to just experience the love of Jesus today, to get down to it. John was talking about some of that darkness place. Oh, the love of God will dispel the darkness. He loves us. You don't have to reject yourself. You don't have to hate yourself. That's thinking we're better than God or we're smarter than God smartest thing to do is love yourself because he loves us how about that sam's going to lead us in the doxology just as a way of us saying an amen to this moment that we trust to jesus after that if you'd like to come get prayer do so lead us sam
1: praise god from home. blessings flow Praise Him, all creatures, hear, behold. Praise Him, above you, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son. Oh, Uh-huh.
0: bless you keep you make his face shine on you be gracious to you and give you peace if you need some prayer come and get it and talk to jesus a lot have a great week love you